Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, we're in our third week of our series on the book of 1 Peter. We've entitled the series, Called to be Different. And so far, we've only made it to verse 5 of chapter 1. At this rate, we'll still be studying the book of 1 Peter at Christmas time. So I promise I'm going to try to speed things up, pick things up a little bit so we can move along a little bit faster. And just a reminder for those who may be just tuning in for the first time in this series, the book of 1 Peter is written to a group of Christians who are living all across Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And he wants them to know, Peter wants these group of Christians to know that really, um, even though life is hard, you can find hope. And And even though life is difficult, you can find hope. And there's even hope when life is painful. This group of believers in Jesus are being heavily persecuted by this unstable Roman emperor named uh, Nero. And when I say persecuted, I don't mean like, oh, they lost their tax deduction status at their local church. No. I don't mean like, oh, they didn't get their license to have a daycare center in the basement of the church. No, no, no. I'm talking about persecution. You know, the kind of persecution that causes uh, prison time, torture, and even death. Heavy persecution. When I think of that kind of persecution, I, I immediately go back to World War II and the persecution of Jews. Six million Jews killed during the Holocaust. Why were they being persecuted? Simply for being Jews. Well, that's kind of what's happening here in 1 Peter. It's a kind of a similar story. They are being persecuted simply for being Jews. A Christian. And first Peter is written to a group of people who are suffering, who are hurting, who are living in pain. And I know some of you right now can relate to what I'm talking about. It's been tough slugging through some of the mess that you're dealing with. And you, and you feel like you're at your ropes and you can't take it anymore. This book is for you. Sometimes there are times things happen in our life and we just start asking the Lord, what is it? <laughs> What does you want from me? You know, I know some of us, we have, many of us have these unanswered questions, too many unanswered questions, which is like, what is going on? Many of you know what it's like when something time and time and time again is like, you just feel like you're being plagued, the pain of life's realities. Life has a way, doesn't it, of throwing some curveballs along the way. Well, as I said, this book is written to God's people who are struggling. God, when is it all going to end? God, what is going on? God, my way seems to be hidden from you. I am sure if you could see what I was going through, you would step in. Or certainly if you did see what I was going through, you wouldn't allow it to last this long. How many times maybe have we caught ourselves saying, Life's it's just not fair. I shouldn't have to cry this long. I shouldn't have to struggle this hard. I, I shouldn't have to experience this much pain. Like God, simply just tell me, where are you? Doesn't it seem like there are times that God seems unlocatable? Like, where are you? Job had that problem. It's recorded for us. He says, God, I went to the east 
and you weren't there. So I, I headed west, and I couldn't find you. So I, I went north, and you weren't there. I, I went down south, and I came up empty-handed. You are nowhere to be found. I think we can relate to how Job was feeling. Well, with that, let's look at a few verses this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to pick it up at verse 6 and read to the end of verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come to prove the genuineness of your faith, that is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Have you heard this word, sovereignty? Uh, the term the sovereignty of God. It is a huge theological term, and it's been discussed, it's been argued about for hundreds of years. The sovereignty of God, I find, is so mysterious to me, and yet I'm intrigued by it. And I often allow my mind to wander and think and ponder about the sovereignty of God. And when you get even a little grasp of it, and by the way, I have a very little grasp of it, but when you do, I feel as though you can rest in it. It gives you peace. It, it kind of gives you a little bit of stability for your life. Well, Donald, what do you mean by the sovereignty of God? I mean that God has this overarching control of all that has happened in eternity past present and eternity future. He's been there. He's done that. But he's also visited eternity future. He resides also in eternity future. So sovereignty isn't just that he knows it all. Sovereignty means everything is in the palm of his hand. See, sovereignty allows me to live out what the psalmist wrote in Psalms 46, verse 10. It says, rest, be at peace, and know that I am God. Like, like the fact that he is orchestrating all the details of my life. Sovereignty means that you can believe Jeremiah 29, 11, when it says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. When he says, I have plans, that, the plans that I have have been designed to give you a future and a hope. The sovereignty is, is Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Sovereignty means you and I can trust God with the details of our life. Now let me serve you notice. God is hard to understand. He's hard 
to understand. At times, extraordinarily confusing. Sometimes it just, well, it just doesn't add up. You know, you think he's going this way, and then all of a sudden, there's this huge turn in the road, and you're going in a different direction. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, He has secret things that he doesn't tell anybody. Things that he chooses not to explain. You know, sometimes God does seem maybe a little later explain why something happened in life. But that doesn't always happen. And if you try to figure out what God is doing when he's chosen not to reveal it, there is not enough medication on the market to handle the anxiety and frustration that you will face. For, for me, one of the most comforting theological truths that I cling to is the sovereignty of God. But I realize there are times when I get a little distracted, maybe this is true for you, that you feel like God's not doing anything, like he's doing nothing. I'm telling him, right, what I'm going through, and he's not picking up the phone. I've left messages, but he's not returning my calls. I've been praying that things would change, but nothing's changing. I feel like he's doing nothing. Ever felt that way? That God is disconnected with your life? Let me say, when we feel, when we feel like God is doing nothing, I just want to remind you, he is crafting this majestic, glorious tapestry of your life. The things that we want to discard, the things that we just don't want to be part of our life, he is, he is weaving together a tapestry that is so incredibly beautiful of our lives. I just want to remind you, God is fully engaged, fully active in every detail of our life. He's never just doing nothing. Well, let me tell you, these Christians at first uh, that Peter is writing to, they're Christians that just were desperate that God would intervene in their circumstances that were causing so much pain. I mean, you're starting to question, has God failed us? I mean, why would God allow someone like Nero <laughs> to destroy us? Well, maybe this is how you feel this morning. Maybe you just feel like, God, I have so many unfulfilled dreams. God, where are you? My world is actually falling apart. When God speaks into their situation, right, these persecuted Christians that are scattered all over, he doesn't speak to them scientifically. He doesn't speak to them academically. He doesn't speak to them psycho psychologically. He actually speaks to them theologically, which is very interesting. You know, maybe, maybe you got demoted at work. Maybe you lost the scholarship that was paying the way for you to remain in college. Maybe, I don't know, depression or despair, anxiety seizes you. Maybe you are facing a long-term sickness. Peter's telling us there's hope even when life 
is hard. In verse 6, right at the very beginning, it says, In all of this you greatly rejoice. In all of what, Peter? What are you talking about? In all of this I can rejoice. Well, if you remember last week, we talked about salvation. We talked about the past and what God has done for us, that he saved us from sin's penalty. We talk about the present, that we've been saved from sin's power. We talked about the future, our salvation, that we've been saved from sin's presence. We talked about this election that God chose us in eternity past, that he regenerated us. That's our past, that in the present he is sanctifying us. He has set us apart. And in the future, there's that glorification when, when our bodies and our life will be changed forever. And Peter's saying, in all of this, you can greatly rejoice in your salvation. And then he goes on to say, though, now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of ways. Christians aren't exempt from suffering. We face trials. In fact, Jesus himself said it, right? In John 16, 33. In this world you will face many troubles. I think that's why he also said in Matthew 11, for all of you who are weary, you're heavy laden, the burden is too much, he says, take on my yoke. Because it's easy. Not painless, but easy. And, and Peter is trying to explain to us the blessing of your salvation far outweighs the burden of your suffering. Life is hard at times, but joy can be your companion because you know how it all ends. This life is short and it is temporary. But listen, we have been rescued from our sins and we've been promised a future and we can rejoice in that. Suffering will test your faith. Not only test your faith, it will refine your faith. Like fire um, purifies gold, it burns out all the impurities. Well, that's what tests will do. Trials, suffering, it, it refines your faith, it grows your faith. Trials are all about maturing our faith. Perhaps it's your slow recovery from surgery that might be the test that's refining your faith. Maybe it's that conflict that you have with your adult child that is refining your faith. Maybe it's that person on the other side of the cubicle that's refining your faith. Maybe it's that F you got on that course that you thought you had studied enough for that is refining your faith. If your faith is strong, you will view your trial as a way that God is refining and growing you and purifying you. But I think if our faith is weak, we'll, we'll just shout out, life is unfair! And sometimes we'll even respond by doing some ungodly things. The goal of our faith being refined is that we would be more like Jesus. 
It's like when you go to the gym in the weightlifting section, you know, it'll say, embrace the pain and you will grow stronger. I never thought of this before, but how we respond to trials and suffering and pain in our life can actually bring glory to God. Uh, look at it. It's written right there. Um, verse 7. All of this says, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We can bring glory to God and how we deal with our trials. I think when we think of bringing glory and praise to God, we often think of singing, right? We lift up our voices and we praise Him and we say, we're glorifying God with our voices and I believe that to be true. You know, we say we're glorifying God when we open up His Word and we study His Word and I believe that to be true. I think we praise and glorify God when we serve. I think we honor and glorify God when we give of our time and our treasures and our, and our talents. I think we bring praise and glory to God by our work ethic at the place of our employment. I think we praise and glorify God by how we treat our spouse. I think we praise and glorify God by how we deal in our relationships. I think we can bring glory to God by how we spend our money. But think about this, because I've been wrestling to this. I actually can bring glory to God. It's a form of praise and how I deal with my pain, my suffering, my trials. And so I've been asking myself, Donald, what are you choosing? Joy or not? When our response to suffering is uh, it's not good, let's just say, when we're, you know, we're like bad how we're dealing with it, Oftentimes, you know what happens? People will come around and maybe put our armor around us and, and maybe we try to cover it all up and say, you know, you, you have the right to say that. I understand why you feel that way. But I'm telling you right now, when I read that note that Kim and Tim Parker wrote, I just sit back and go, how are they responding like that? How is it they can have joy? It makes no sense. What does it all mean? What's Peter trying to say to us? He's saying, when you, when you know what you have in your salvation with Jesus Christ, it changes your whole perspective. When you know that how things change in the past and how your current life is, is being changed and how there's a future for you how you, you've been regenerated and, and how you're being sanctified and how one day you will be glorified. It changes everything. Pain is often the pathway to maturity. And unfortunately, and I am one of these people, by the way, <laughs> we want the product without the process. I, I, I want six uh, pack of abs but I seem not, I'm just not putting the work into it. I'm not dieting, I'm not exercising, I'm not doing what I need to do. It takes work. It, sometimes it can be painful to get those six-pack abs. I know, we all want to have, uh, be mature in our faith, but the thing is, it often happens through pain. 
I don't like the process, to be honest with you, but that's what often God uses to get us to where he wants us to be. So I'm here, along with Peter, to encourage us to embrace the trial that in our life. And I don't mean like, rah, rah, get some, you know, the cheerleaders, I was, hey, my dog, I run over my truck today. I'm not saying, hey, three uh, cheers, hip, hip, hooray, my 25-year marriage just ended. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying when I say embrace it, know that God is doing something in us. Knowing that God will use what is in our life to continue to create and weave together this incredible tapestry of our life. When we recognize what waits for us, it will far outweigh what is happening right now in our life. And when we understand that this is part of the process to be, make us more like Jesus, it changes our perspective. And so my prayer is that God would give us the grace to embrace the trial, knowing that he is refining us, knowing that he is maturing us, knowing that he is fully invested in us and in our lives. It's not easy. It isn't. But when you know what God is doing, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do, it does begin to change our perspective. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com. There's no